Good morning. There we go. Now it's on. All right. It's good to see you all. Thank you, Peter, for leading us in those songs. And as he mentioned, our, uh, our hope really is in the resurrected Jesus and the hope of new life. And that really ties into what our message is about today. And um, we've been doing, I wouldn't say we've, it's been like an official series, but we've been talking about our church theme for this year. And uh, as uh, we shared maybe three weeks back, our church theme for this year is do not be anxious about anything. And that comes from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. And um, we've talked about how challenging that can be, um, because there are many things that fill our lives with anxiety. Um, I got to experience a little bit of anxiety when I walked into our church building uh, last Sunday, before when we got here early in the morning when we were setting up. And for those of you who are that I see you on the screen, you can't tell, but this window right next to me, as all you in person can tell, is boarded up because last weekend we had a break into our church building where someone had thrown a big rock, um, one of the rocks we use as the doorstops, through this window and had come in. And by all by all accounts, it looks like it was probably someone who was homeless and just looking for shelter and looking for food um, because there's a lot of things that could be missing and nothing was missing. And it looked like there was um, just a little bit of trash in the kitchen and it was probably something who, uh, someone who mentally wasn't altogether there but were just looking for um, some place to get out of the cold or somewhere looking for food. And they had climbed the fence and thrown a rock through the window. And this gave me a, it gave me a flashback to, it wasn't a break-in, but to a moment where I experienced something similar uh, when I was younger. And when I was talking to uh, one of our uh, college students from church and, and we were talking about the break-in, they were saying, wow, I've always seen our church building as a safe place and a place that I grew up in and not a place where I would think like something dangerous might um, happen. And so, um, when, when something that we consider to be safe or something that we consider is like a normal, comfortable part of our lives gets uprooted, that can fill us with a lot of anxiety. Um, when I was young, we had, uh, we had um, a really um, wonderful family that lived next door to us. And um, the, it was a family of five, just like my family. And um, the dad was a really nice guy. And uh, at the time, we were really into street hockey because this was the 90s. So we would put on our rollerblades and play hockey in the street. And even though he didn't know anything about hockey, he would talk to us about the San Jose Sharks because we had just gotten our first professional hockey team or first professional sports team here in San Jose. And a really nice man. Um, and as time went on, eventually he lost his job and he started turning to drugs and alcohol as he was dealing with the loss of his job. And it really kind of sent him spiraling out of control in his anger and just in the way he dealt with people. And so um, after a while, his wife and kids left and moved away just because he couldn't control his anger. And one day he got in an argument with my dad and my dad, uh, I don't remember what it was about, um, but my dad told him to calm down and, and stop yelling or, or he would have to, or to, uh, to stop like, coming onto our property while he was so upset, um, otherwise he would call the police. And the next morning we found out that our phone line, um, which was in our backyard, had been cut and the phone wasn't working. And so we knew he had come into our backyard at night 
and done something to the phone line. And as a, I was about 11 or 12 years old, I don't remember exactly, um, but that was really scary for me because something that was uh, something that was safe, my backyard, had now felt unsafe because it had been intruded upon, kind of, and that gave me a flashback when I came into church this last, um, this last weekend and saw that the, the window was broken. And I think when things like this happen, we might ask, it's not supposed to happen that way. Like, who would break into a church building? Who would break into our church building? If you're looking for expensive equipment, you shouldn't be coming to our church building. Um, I mean, there's nice things that we have to use for this service, but it's a small family church. Like, why would someone feel the need to break in here? What would the reasoning be? And I think if you watch the news also, when you see stories of tragedy or where you see horrible stories of abuse or violence or things that just don't make sense to us, we ask why? Why, why do these things have to happen? And we might have this thought in our mind that I had when I saw the broken window walking in here, this shouldn't happen. Like it's a peaceful church building, like this shouldn't happen. Why do these, these difficult things take place in our lives? Um, we're gonna be looking at the book of 2 Timothy, chapter three today. We're gonna read the whole chapter. And if you have a heading, this is important for us when we read the Bible, but if you have a heading in your Bible, the heading says, Godlessness in the last days. And I think if we describe something that's godless, what is a godless act? This is actually a word that I think both believers and non-believers kind of use when they see something very, at least in their minds, morally wrong or despicable or just wondering, this should not happen. Why would this happen? And I think that's a very important phrase that captures what Paul writes about as he's giving instructions to Timothy in this book. Now, the, book of, the books of Timothy were written in the first century AD, so you have to imagine this is roughly 2,000 years ago, maybe slightly less than that. Um, I can't do math this morning, uh, maybe a little more. I, I, we're not going to worry about it. It was a long time ago. But the point is, Paul is writing to warn Timothy as he is training to be a leader of God's church um, to know that there will be difficult things that happen in our lives and to be prepared for them. So the headings in our Bibles, very important for us to know. Those were not put there by the original authors. Most of the time, they are very good headings for us because it gives us a description of what we're going to read. But the original Word of God, what we consider the Word of God in the Bible, um, the divinely inspired Word of God, doesn't include those headings. And yet this heading, Godlessness in the Last Days, uh, I think that's the ESV heading when I was reading it this week. Um, that's, that's a good one. Um, now, during the pandemic... I think we have had more time to be aware of things that we might consider godless or very difficult or challenging. Just because we haven't been able to resume like a normal schedule of life, we've probably been in front of our phones or our computers or our TVs more than, more than usual and in front of the news more than usual. And we see terrible headline each and every day where we might think, how can these things happen? We've had lots of time to be more aware of the, what we might say is the godlessness that we see on this earth. And that's why I think as we continue in thinking about our theme, what it means to not be anxious about anything. Um, this is a very good word that Paul gives Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
So we're going to read through the whole chapter today, and I think this will instruct us to have the right mindset and to see what God might want us to um, be able to understand when it comes to the difficult things that we see or that we experience. We're going to see four things in this passage today. Here's our four points. Um, The word difficulty will appear in verse 1, where Paul says uh, there will be, um, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. We'll break that down in a moment. And so when it comes to these difficulties that we see in our world, we're going to see four things this morning. First, we're going to see that difficulties will happen. That is an important warning that Paul wants to give Timothy as he's training him for ministry. And we'll see why that's important for us as well. Secondly, we're going to see that difficulties will have many forms. It's not just in one way, but Paul actually writes a very, very long list of all these things that we're going to see, unfortunately, unfold in our world. Then we're going to see that God wins against, God wins out against these difficulties. Yes, they are challenging. Yes, they bring a lot of uh, stress and anxiety upon our lives and a lot of brokenness into our world. And yet, the earthly, um, the earthly brokenness that we see on this world, the earthly choices that people make um, for their own selfish human gain, God will triumph over them um, in the end. And finally, we're going to see how all of this is meant to exist so that God will prepare his people for these difficulties. And I hope that's good news for us um, because uh, I was unprepared to know how to deal with a angry, um, drug-influenced neighbor that I was very scared of as a 12-year-old, as I shared with you. And when I could see this window being broken when I came into church last week, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it was something I was prepared for, but yet I think knowing the living God, the resurrected God, as Peter was sharing about as he led us in that last song, helps equip us for the difficulties that we might see. And that's where God's word gives us great wisdom. Um, so we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, and we'll start in verse 1. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he starts this chapter by saying this. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The first point that we're going to see in this chapter is that difficulties will happen. Um, So the first thing that we want to take note of is the phrase, it says, Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days, and so what what does it mean by last days? Now, we might have our own idea of what this might mean. The word last, we usually think, oh, that means it comes at the end. And we might interpret this as saying, in the days right before Jesus comes back, like the end days, like the stuff we see in Revelation, like that's when this thing, that this stuff will take place. But we want to be very careful to use the phrase here the way Paul would have meant it to his original audience. When Paul uses the phrase, the last days, if you do a search for it in multiple parts of scripture, when you look at the context for how he is using this, uh, most biblical commentators have said the way Paul uses this phrase, the last days, it's meant to describe the time between the first coming of Christ when Jesus was on the earth and the second coming of Christ, which has now been a long time. But if you think about it in the grand scope of how much God's people experienced in the years BC, we might think ever since Jesus left this earth and it's been a couple thousand years now, we might think this is a long time. And yet uh, in the grand scheme of history, there's been many more things that have been experienced long before that. 
And so that's important for us um, because what that shows us is the day of the re resurrection of Jesus, that kind of kicked off this period that we're referring to as the last days. It was the period that the early church was born in, and it's what we're still experiencing now. And so this had a specific meaning to Timothy as he's hearing this from Paul. And the meaning of it, I think, also is, is the same for us as we are still living in what Paul would describe as the last days, the time between the first coming of Christ um, that happened with his ministry on earth, his life, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and before he comes back the second time. So that's really important for us. Now, this verse I don't think is hard to understand logically, but it might be hard for us to uh, put it into practice emotionally. He says this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And what he's saying is the difficulties we see on this earth, Paul is telling Timothy, you as a, as a follower of, of Christ, you will experience difficulties. And as he's training him, the books of Timothy are about Paul helping prepare Timothy to be a minister of God. These are uh, part of a section which is often called the pastoral epistles. It's pastoral training for Timothy. Paul is trying to help Timothy experience. You will experience difficulty, and God's people will experience difficulty as well. And I don't think this is just simply limited to God's people. Everyone experiences difficulties in our world. Now, the hard part for us is a lot of times we believe life is supposed to be easy with no challenges, with no difficulties. And we say, why does this have to be so hard? Why do things like this happen? Why would someone break into a church building? Why do I see so many like, difficult things on the news each day? And we, have, we, we might not realize we often come from an expectation that our lives are meant to be problem-free and without trial. And yet, if you look at the history of humanity, everyone struggles in some way. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we building this idea that our lives are meant to be difficulty-less um, and without and just very easy? Where does that idea come from? And Paul is trying to combat that idea by showing, look, difficulties will happen. And I think it's, I think it's a good reminder because if we're going to experience difficulties in our life, I would rather be mentally prepared for that than not. It's better to help prepare someone for something difficult by saying, look, this is going to happen, rather than let them be caught unaware in our general human, like, human thinking where we think everything's meant to be easy. So that's the first thing that we see. Paul is helping Timothy uh, understand that difficulties are sure to happen. Now, the word difficulty is a very general word. And I've already used it at least like 20 times, and I'm going to keep using it because that's the translation that we see that um, this section starts off with in verse 1. But what does it mean specifically? If Paul says difficulty in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, what does he mean by that? Will it be a little bit challenging? Will it be a minor inconvenience? Or what are the exact specifics that people are going to see? And what we will see in our second point is that Paul has no shortage of answers for the difficulty that we will experience here on this earth and that we will see here on this earth. And that leads us to our second point for this morning, that difficulties will have many forms. And we start to see this in verse 2. So let's keep reading. Paul goes on to say, 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I started to make a list, kind of commenting on each one of these phrases that Paul uses to help capture the difficulties that we might see on this earth. And I was going to try to say a little bit about each word. I did this two weeks ago when we talked about uh, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is saying he gives a good list of the noble thoughts, the godly thoughts we want to think about. And Paul loves his lists. And in doing so, when I was describing the list of of things, of godly thoughts that he wants us to fill our mind with in the book of Philippians, uh, some of it starts to sound uh, related, but maybe a little bit repetitive. There are 16, and I was grouping some of these together, but there are 16 different either individual phrases or groups of words that describe the difficulties that our world will face. There are many. And if we just look at a few of them, to begin with the, uh, the, the order that Paul starts in. He says, people will be lovers of self. And I don't think it's hard for us to see that there are ways where in our world, it's very easy to see how people can be self-interested. And if we're honest with ourselves, hopefully we can see the ways that our lives might be so focused on ourselves at times that we lose track of everything else. It is part of the difficulties that will exist in the, the age that uh, the early church was living in at this time and the age that we live in at this time as well. And it says that people will be lovers of money and living in Silicon Valley, a very successful place where everything costs more than almost everywhere in the world and things are very expensive and the kind of the, the thoughts in our mind is how do I earn more and more money? How do I gain more money for myself so I can live a nice comfortable life? It is not hard to see how that is true here in our area. Paul says people will be proud. And I group this with the next phrase, the next word, people will be arrogant. It is not hard for us to think about people that we've been around who are proud and who are arrogant for various reasons. I could do this for the whole section here because there are so many ways that Paul talks about the ungodliness that we'll see in our world. And he's warning against this, that these things are surely going to happen. But there's just simply not enough time to talk about all 16 different words or phrases or categories here. Abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, no self-control. All of these things are things that we might see in our world when we ask the question, why did something like this happen? Why do I see terrible things on the news each and every day? It is because we are experiencing these difficulties in the last days, difficulties that Paul wanted to warn God's people against. And I believe that's where we get to experience the warning that Paul has for Timothy and for God's people back then. We can experience it in the same way to see Look how broken our world is. Look at all these different ungodly effects that happen in verses 2 through 5. And he ends this section with a very uh, good piece of application saying, 
avoid such people. Now, what's the result of this in the next couple verses, in verses 6 and 7? Because there is so much ungodliness, because there are so many difficulties that take place in our world, Paul then says this in verse 6. He says, for among them, the people that exhibit all of these characteristics, he says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And so let's break this down a little bit to understand what's going on. When it says, for among them, them being the people who exhibit these ungodly characteristics that we see in verses 2 through 5, these people, people who are proud, arrogant, unholy, ungrateful, all of these things are the ones who will creep, it says, will creep into households and capture weak women. Now let's understand what Paul says this, because in modern day society, this might sound very sexist or very politically incorrect, but let's think about how Paul would have meant to express this during the first century AD when he's writing this. It's not meant to target one specific gender, but what he's commenting on is in a society where the ones who were educated were the men at this time, where the women were uh, mainly raising children or working around the house, that was a cultural thing, right? And what we wanna learn from this is it's saying there are people who are educated or have some level of success who are able to prey upon others who are not. People who are easily influenced. People who uh, just um, have, not been, um, have not been trained or experienced the same ways as those who have worldly experience or education. And people will use their ungodly characteristics to prey upon others who are still trying to figure things out. And I think contextually, that's what these verses mean for us today. And I think verse 7 is really fascinating then. Um, well, before we get there, I think that's still true today. Our world preys upon people who are unaware, people who are, e e who are easy targets. This is why pyramid schemes are successful in our world. This is why for young people, if you see something on social media that says free iPhone, hopefully you are trained now to know that's some kind of scam that's just trying to get your information. But if you don't know any better, and I did this as like in my 30s, so I should know better too, right? And then it just sent my email address to all kinds of distribution lists because I should have known better when I saw the, the advertisement, right? When it says something like that, it's preying upon people who are unaware. And that's where verse 7 is interesting because it's describing these people who are influencing others with these ungodly characteristics as people who are always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And that's for a very well-educated people that we are in Silicon Valley. That's a very important phrase for us to think about. There, we have never been exposed to more information that we can learn about than we have today because of the presence of technology, because of the presence of the internet. There is, we are more educated than most of the world living here in Silicon Valley. Um, and, but, does it, but the question we have to ask ourselves is does it help us arrive at a knowledge of the truth? And in a Silicon Valley world, as I've gotten to know more people, people who might have good jobs in this area, people who might have earned a lot of money by now, what I've been able to see is that wealth and earthly success doesn't guarantee that we arrive at a knowledge of the truth. 
And that's the situation that Paul was describing to Timothy. These are things you're going to deal with in the first century church. And all of these characteristics that we see in this long list that Paul has shows us the ungodliness that still exists in our world today in a very, in a very uh, successful place like Silicon Valley where we all live. And so if the application from the first point was to expect that difficulties will come, when we see this long list, hopefully this helps us see something that's a very important. It's a hard but important truth for us to grasp. Don't be shocked at how widespread the difficulties in this world are. If Paul came up with this long list from verses 2 through 5 of all the just ungodly characteristics that we will see on display, if you watch the news, if you spend more than 30 seconds on social media, you can see all of the characteristics of ungodliness on display in our world. And Paul is warning Timothy and the people of God then, don't be shocked by how widespread these things are. And for us, we don't need to be shocked by them either. But rather, we can start to discern some truth that Paul wants us to see here in this section. So we've seen that Paul uh, explains to people, be prepared for difficulties to happen. It is a when, not if. They will happen. And look at how widespread they will be. But look at what the result is going to be. And we start to see this in verse 8. And that brings us to our third point for this morning. God will win over all the difficulties that we see in our world. It may not be easy to see that when our world is based on chasing success, chasing wealth, chasing reputation. Um, but there's an interesting uh, historical reference that Paul makes for Timothy in the next couple verses. We see this starting in verse 8. And it shows us, this will show us, that in the presence of great wealth and great success, but also ungodliness, God will triumph. God will win out. Verse 8 says this, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, in order to understand what's going on here, we need to know who these two men are, Janus and Jambres. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly, but we're going to go with that. I had no when I was reading this passage, and I'll explain why I landed on this passage for this week's sermon when we get to the very end. Um, but when I was reading this passage this week, I was like, I have no idea who these two guys are. Who are these guys? Why is Paul talking about them? They're, this is the only place they are mentioned in the Bible. But you have to think from the perspective of the author and the audience. Paul was someone who was Jewish. He was well-trained in the history of Jewish people. When he says that these two men, Janus and Jambres, opposed Moses, if you were Jewish at this time, you would know the history of these two men from other writings that were available. And these were the two wizards in Pharaoh's court when Moses approached Pharaoh and had Aaron throw down the staff that turned into a serpent. And if you remember that story, when Pharaoh says, that's no big deal, look, my magicians can do it too, it was Janus and Jambres who threw down their staffs as well. And because they were trained in the area of magic, they threw down their staffs and their staffs turned into snakes in the same way that the power of God was on display right before that. Now, if you know the outcome of that story, Pharaoh is thinking very confidently I have magicians who can do the exact same thing that the people of God just did. But which snakes won in that story? 
the serpents that originated from the staff of God's people end up eating and consuming the, the snakes that came from Janus and Jambres. It's a really powerful metaphor that Paul is using to say there will be powers that will come against each other, but in the end, God will triumph. God is more powerful than all of the ungodliness, as broken as it is, as difficult as it is. And so what does this teach us? It teaches us that these two men, they are an example of weakness, of earthly rule. And that must have been hard for Pharaoh to even think about, given that at the time, Egypt was the world power. He would have thought, there's no magician anywhere that's a match for us because we are the most successful civilization that there is. And yet, we can look back with the benefit of hindsight and see how even in that moment, the power of God was shown to be more powerful than all of the powers of this world. Now, all the powers that we read about in this long list of verses 2 through 5, like, it's a long list that starts to run together a little bit, but when we experience the brokenness that we see that comes from all of these characteristics in our world, we know how hard that is. And hopefully we can find encouragement from saying, in the end, there is so much brokenness in this world that results from all of these things, but we can see how historically God has shown how faithful he is, that he will take care of his people, that he will win out on his timing, and we can still trust in that today, even in all of the godlessness that we see in our world. Um, I don't know if you've done this, but Oftentimes, I look back and I like to think of my younger self and think, oh man, why did I do that when I was like 16? That was like such a dumb thing. Why did I do that when I was 25? I was such a mess. And even now I'm like, why did I do that when I was 38? Like, what's wrong with me? That was just last year, right? And, and the reason for this is because I think as we grow in wisdom, we can look at a younger version of ourselves and see that in our growth process, we will always look back at ourselves and think, oh my gosh, like, what was I doing? Like, why would I make such a dumb decision? Or why would I act this way? And so sometimes we can look back and see the error of our ways. And I think this section is maybe meant to call some attention to the ways that we might also be lovers of money, lovers of self, proud, arrogant. I can think of so many ways where I have exhibited a lot of these traits that Paul has said. And I can look back and see the error of my ways. And that's earthly wisdom that I think helps us in this moment that will tie into the last several verses we're about to read. But this passage is also meant to show that going all the way back to Exodus, like if Paul's talking about the last days, which is spanning a 2,000 like period of time, 2,000 year period of time, even going way back before that, do we see how God is showing his power over even the greatest powers in this world, the oppressive power of the regime of, of Egypt at this time? And so I think this is meant to have a couple of effects for us. It's meant for us to be able to grow in wisdom, to learn from the error of our ways when we walk in areas of ungodliness, but it's also meant to encourage us to see God has been faithful millennia ago when those snakes were more powerful than the Egyptian snakes that their magicians conjured up. And God is still that powerful today as we, the people of God, can learn from these warnings about the ungodliness that exists in our world. And so when we experience uh, just how broken our world is, I think the application that comes from this point is this. Keep the hope that God will be faithful, that he will make things all right. Because we've seen it happen in many cases of history throughout the Bible. And 
we, I'm sure if we think about it, if we fix our minds on it, we can remember ways God has been faithful to us in our lives as well. And that can give us hope to see God is faithful to his promises. And even though our world is, inc- is an incredibly broken place, we can trust that he will win out in the end. And I think all of this is meant to help us experience our final point for this morning, which is this, that God prepares his people for the difficulties. We see this starting in verse 10. And Paul says this, you, however, he's changing the tone of it. There's all of this brokenness in our world. But as he speaks to Timothy and to the people of God that Timothy will be instructing, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. And Paul is saying, you've seen the struggles that I've gone through, and you can see how this is the same God who was the God over uh, the people, God's people during the time of Egypt. He's still delivering Paul from uh, danger after danger that we see. It's still taking place. He keeps going on in verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That was our first point. Difficulties will come. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. A great description of that long list of all the ungodliness that we see. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When verse 14 starts with the word but, the word but, it is a connective that we see often in scripture. It is meant to flip the tone of the passage. And in this case, if that is such an incredibly long list of ungodliness, then he says, but you, however, these are the people that you are. He is pointing to the hope that God's people have from, the, from just their willingness to learn from God's truth. And as we saw back in verse 7, people will be always learning but never actually arriving at truth. This is the opposite of that, where Paul is saying, you have been able to learn of this truth. That means that there's hope. It means that as the people of God, people will be able to grow and learn how to live, being firm in what we believe, beliefs that come from God. And as he is saying, from childhood in verse 15, You've become acquainted with these truths, and they will continue to serve, them, serve you well. And what that means for us then, for those of you who have grown up coming to Sunday school, memorizing the Awana verses, getting the stars, going to cell group, whatever it might be, coming to youth group, even when you don't remember anything that we did other than the food that we ate or the fun games that we played, all of those things over time help us experience who God is And they are worth something to give us perspective when difficulties happen in our world. And these are the ways that we can be prepared for the difficulties. This passage, even the start of this passage, is such a great application of what Paul's writing here in these verses. Because when he says, you will experience difficulties, it is a way where God's word is trying to help us understand the truth about life. You will experience difficulties. Suffering is a part of life, unfortunately. 
And this is where we actually see a great example in the same chapter of an application of the truth that Paul is writing. And that gets us to a very famous verse um, that we see in verses 16 and 17 that talks to us about the importance of the word of God. I would bet most of you have heard this verse and are familiar with this verse, as I have been for many years. But in thinking about the context that we see it happening in, I think it actually gives it that much more power because it talks to us about the importance and the purpose of God's word. We see this starting in verse 16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think these are familiar verses talking about the importance of scripture. But when we put them in the context of the certain difficulties that we will experience, this verse comes alive to me that much more. And that means God's word is meant to try to help equip us for the difficulties that we'll see in our lives. You see that starting in verse 1. He says, you will experience difficulties. It's a truth that God wants us to understand so that we can be prepared. And in this section, he is trying to encourage Timothy and the believers that are under Timothy's care to see these are ways that when you grow in the wisdom of God, you will be equipped for the difficulties that come in your lives. When we meet together, Vertigo, on Wednesday nights, it has been a joy to study the book of 1 John. Not an easy book, a lot for us to unpack together, a lot for us to even argue over at times what we think it means and how to put it into practice, but I'm so thankful for those times that we've spent reading God's word. Why? It is a way where we are being equipped for anything that comes our way with all the difficulties that we see in our lives. For those of you who have been joining us Friday night on Zoom, even though Zoom is even more painful now than it was at the start of the pandemic, as we've been watching The Chosen together for youth group, what we are seeing is an incredible depiction of who Jesus is and the type of man that he is and what it means to follow him and be chosen by him and to see how that is still important for us right now today. It is a way where when we meet together like, in, like we do during the week, we are living out verses 16 and 17, where we are being equipped by God's word for anything that might come and, and come into our lives that we have to experience. And so the, the application for this last point is simply this. Can we grow in believing God's word and growing in it constantly? And if that means making a greater effort to be there for the Bible studies that we have in our church, or if you struggle listening to Bible studies because you're not an, an, like a, an, an audible kind of learner, you need to, like, I'm a verbal processor. I learn the most from studying the Bible when I can talk about a passage with someone else, listen to someone else, share my ideas. But I'm thankful that uh, God's word is there for us because it helps prepare us for the difficulties that we see in our world. I would hope that we would rather be prepared than unprepared for all of the difficulties that result from us living in a broken and fallen world. And so um, to wrap it up then, thinking about uh, just this passage and thinking about how it means to prepare us for the challenges that we'll face. Um, it was disconcerting when I walked into church last week and saw the broken glass and we had to clean up real quick to get set up. And um, after church, Greg and I, we got in his big car to go over to Home Depot because we don't have a board like this. We had to go buy it. And 
The reason where, why I wanted to preach on this passage this week is Greg and I were saying like it was unfortunate and it was a little bit kind of even scary to think that our church building had been broken into. Um, but we were also saying we know that this is not the safest area in the world, and we also know it's kind of easy to hop this fence, and these windows are not exactly safe. And we were kind of surprised that this hadn't happened at some point sooner. And in a way, it, it kind of helped us understand we could make sense of why this might happen. Why? Because we live in a broken and fallen world with someone who might be, uh, it seemed like actually a relatively harmless thing where someone was just looking for temporary shelter or food because um, all of the equipment was still here. It didn't seem like anything was missing. And that's where Greg said, do you know what verse popped into my, my Bible reading plan like this morning? Like that day, this this verse that I'm this chapter that I'm preaching on, and with the heading "Godlessness in the Last Days," and we could share as we're driving to and from Home Depot that this isn't necessarily a surprise, but how we can learn that this is a broken world and things like this are going to happen, and we can learn from them from God's perspective to see how God wants to help equip us and help us grow in ways that might be able to handle all of the different challenges that are going to come our way. I was so unprepared as a 12-year-old from the difficulties of the anger from my next-door neighbor in coming and breaking into our backyard and cutting our phone line in a kind of a contentious time. I didn't know how to handle it. I was so scared. Um, fortunately, my mom took my brothers and I. We stayed with some other friends until um, eventually our next-door neighbor, I think he went to jail shortly after, not because of the break-in in our house, but for other reasons. And so we temporarily moved away for a little bit. I was not prepared to deal with that as a 12-year-old. Why? Because at 12 years old, you're thinking, why do things like this happen? I just want to go outside and play and like have a good time. But what we see is the reality of our world is this is a broken and fallen place. And the more that we are prepared for that, but to know that God is with us and wants to equip us to know how to handle it, then we will not be anxious about anything that comes in our lives. And that's the good news that comes from knowing God in all of his wisdom. When I think of the sacrifice that Jesus paid upon the cross, I think of someone who was maybe the most prepared for the difficulties that he knew were coming. He knew that it would not be easy to go, for the, go to the cross, to die on the cross, to suffer, to be beaten, and to eventually have his life taken from him. And he allowed God to strengthen him as he prepared to give his life for us so that we might be forgiven of our sins. It equipped him to face, we read in the Gospels how God was strengthening him to face the difficulties and allow God to use the crucifixion, brutal as it was, for good so that we might be forgiven. Now, we are not Jesus. We play a different role. But we can know that God is preparing, for, preparing us to be able to handle anything that comes our way in a broken and fallen world. And this starts with the importance of good fellowship and being in God's word and seeing how God's word gives us the right perspective to know how to handle life in a broken and fallen and ungodly world. Difficulties are sure to come, but the good news is that God wants to prepare us for them and be with us in them. And that was the comfort and the encouragement that I had in thinking about how to process the broken glass and the reality that 
The church building somehow looked differently momentarily because of the break-in. There was so much great comfort for me riding to Home Depot with Greg, hearing his perspective on it, and to say these things are going to happen and we can be prepared. Not prepared for what happens, but prepared to say, even with this board covering this window here, that does not have to dampen the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Why? Because knowing him means that he will be with us in all of the brokenness that our world can throw our way and that we can experience just the, the great love and provision that he's shown for his people all the way back during the times of Egypt, all the time during the ministry of Jesus in the formation of the early church, and even as we struggle through what does church look like in a pandemic world that has just, uh, just really uh, taken a toll on many of us in our spiritual growth and in our spiritual health, we can trust that God is with us and preparing us for all things. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that in your grace and in your love for us, you do not want us to be unprepared. But God, that we can see difficulties that take place in our lives, and we can see how they are meant to grow us, but how they are also meant to help us experience your grace, your love, and your presence. God, for all the difficulties that we might be facing in our lives right now, God, I pray that we would repent of any ungodliness um, where we might be self-focused or self-interested or focused on things of this world, that we can lay those things down at your feet, ask for your forgiveness, and see, God, how you might be uh, just leading us in the ways of your kingdom and not in the ways of this world. And God, if there are difficulties out of our control that we are having trouble processing, Lord, I pray that we would dig into your word and see how you are trying to grow us, how you are trying to shape us, and help us see the reality of a broken world, but the hope of a resurrected Savior and the hope of the resurrection that we will experience with you one day. So God, as we sing this last song together, I pray, God, that we would be filled with the hope that you bring. God, that isn't placed in anything in this world, but is based on your incredible love for us. And God, I pray that this hope that we have would be strengthening us as we live amidst a broken and fallen world. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.